0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, this morning to Psalms? We're going to look at a couple of texts here right off the top. Psalms 112, thank you for bringing your Bibles. Psalms 112, and then we're going to go to Proverbs. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 27. You can just get a hold of those. Psalms 112 and Proverbs 27. Psalms 112 and Proverbs 27. We've been trying to define what a holy God. Reverence, the fear of the Lord, the awe of God, and... So, the last number of weeks, again, available on our website, you can catch up. But we have, through the weeks, looked at particular people. Um, one being Moses, where Moses sought that God would show him his face. And God demonstrated his glory to Moses. Moses was transformed because of it. We, saw, we looked at uh, um, Isaiah and Isaiah beheld the glory of the Lord and it was a picture of in the in the temple in the heavenly places and and the angels were calling holy is the Lord and Isaiah was just this is a guy who walked and talked with God but he was he was transformed in the presence of a holy God we saw people like David and David where His heart longed for the Lord. David would say, this is what I seek. What I seek is your face, Lord. What I seek, I set my heart towards you. And David longed for the Lord. Where others were content to simply be a people of God, David wasn't. He longed for the presence of God in the midst. And so he wouldn't be content for anything less. There was such a longing. His worship songs, the Psalms, you, you, you can't but notice that. And, as you do any cursory study of David, you will see a hungry heart for God, Matthew chapter five, verse six, it says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they for they will be filled. The hunger and thirst is important in this case it 's not just the end of the journey it 's actually the journey. The hunger God loves a hungry heart; he loves a heart that can 't get enough of them." <laughs> Because we really can't get enough of them. He loves a heart that acknowledges that. He, lo- he loves a heart that thirsts for him. That just, you know, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. You know, pe- deers don't normally pant, dogs pant. Deers don't normally pant. A deer's in trouble when a deer's panting. And we need to pant for the Lord. We need to know what we're panting. As the deer pants for the Lord, there's a picture Oh God, I pant for you. The thirsty heart, God loves it. a thirsty heart for him. Uh, we saw that in the New Testament, the early church, we saw where the early church after Jesus ascended, there was a hunger. They got together and they called and they began to call out to the Lord, they called out to the Lord. There was a a desperation in their cry. And then in Acts 2, we see where the Holy Spirit came in power and in might, the glory filled the place. Glory of God filled the room. There's, we've been looking at a number of nibbits of situations where we've seen where God has poured out His glory. Honestly, pours out His glory, it transforms anybody who's a recipient of that. Why don't you see it? Because the divine order is not in place. There are certain things that have to be put in place. For His glory. You see it right from the beginning of time. I met, did a whole message on that. The divine order. Then the glory. When the glory comes, be careful. Because if it weren't for divine order, when the glory come, the Bible says the hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Where there's not, when there's not order, there's immediate judgment. And that is God's mercy. That is God's mercy. Not to demonstrate His, his glory when there hasn't been an altar prepared to receive it. Because then there would be judgment. And so it's God's mercy. But when the vine order, when we begin to pursue and when we put our hearts in order, God will pour it. You can't earn it. And I'm going to talk about that today. It has to do with the choice of obedience. So I can't earn God's favor. But I can respond to him. And as I am appreciative, we, we sing of his, of his faithfulness. We sing of his love. And his love is unending. But his love draws us to him. It's his holiness. It's the fear of the Lord that will take us the rest of the way. Because there's a lot that will opt out and will, you will get into our hearts and our life. But when we embrace the fear of the Lord, when we tremble at his word, when, when we can't stand, when there's, a, there, there's, there's such a, an, a, an acute awareness of his presence, takes us to the end of the journey. A lot of people opt out of the journey because they've not had that encounter. I want to take us today, That the title simply is Holy Word. Again, our theme is holy. And today I want to talk about holy word. Uh, last week we talked about God is rebuilding David's fallen tent. Um, in other words, he's restoring his glory. There will come a day before he returns where there will be a restoration of his glory. And it will not be, as the waters cover the earth, yes, but it will not be everybody. There will be many where... Walking side by side. There will be those that will walk under the spout of his glory. And there will be a person right beside them feeling nothing. Feeling nothing. Okay. It will happen both simultaneously. Sin will amount. It will will rise up. And right beside it will be with the glory of the Lord. Um, Paul would speak of that in Timothy. We'll talk about that at the end. Okay. Let's pick it up. Psalms 112 verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who here it is fear the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in His commands. Who find delight, not great delight in His commands. Proverbs chapter 27, if you want to go there. Proverbs 27, verse 7. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry, even what is bitter Tastes sweet. Mm. You know, it's common to hear a cry for more of God. But do we really mean we want more of God, who He truly is, or do we want more of a soft, pleasant, bless me kind of a God in our lives? Truth be told, that's often what it is. We want more blessings. So when we cry more of you, I want more. Make room, you know, saying, sometimes we just want more of just his goodness in our life, his blessing in our life. Uh, all the while, God knows the bitter is what's necessary to cleanse you. But we don't want the bitter. We don't want the bitter. But he knows the bitter is what it's going to take. Hmm. So this text, Proverbs 27, Verse 7. One who is full loathes honey from the cone. We know that. If you're full, you don't have that hunger that stirs you. But to the hungry, even what is bitter, tastes sweet. Um, This series is really just that. A person who begins to comprehend the awe of God will tremble at his word. And trembling at his word can be a very disarming thing. Trembling at his word. It's been a process that I've been experiencing as I've stepped into this series and it's a frightening thing. It honestly is a frightening thing. Physically, there's nothing particularly pleasant about it. It's a frightening thing. Um, I'd rather just read the palatable things. Just read the Proverbs and think that God's saying. Just a few Psalms, just bless me, build me up, fill me up, a few promises, you know. Uh, but when His Word goes contrary, when my life is contrary to His Word, and I begin to tremble at that, that's a good thing. It's a bitter thing, and it's a good thing. To tremble in His presence as those who before, before us has trembled. You see, virtually every writer of Scripture trembled at His word. His word shook them to the core. God would say to Isaiah in chapter 66, verse 2, God says, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look, I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. I want you to note that last part. The ones God looks on in favor are those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. God looks with favor those who tremble at his... God is saying, in essence, this. He's saying, the person I pay close attention to, the person I am watching, the person that stirs my heart, the person I pay close attention to, to exalt... I pay close attention to exalt what I say, they exalt what I say above everything else. And nothing is more important. In the truth of evidence of a holy reverence before God is the person that God will bless. God says, a person who takes my word seriously. I got my eye on you because that stirs my heart. It stirs my heart. Um. I want to share five aspects of what that means to stand in awe of God's holy word. Five things here they are. Number 1. You want to write them down? You can get notes. We have notes available for you. You can just hit that, pull it down. You can have the notes available or you can write it down or take a picture. But here they are. Number 1, five aspects of what it means to stand in God's in awe of God's holy word. To tremble at his word. Number 1, obey God immediately. Obey God immediately. Holy fear instills in our hearts that what's important to God is priority to me. What's important to Him is first, not second, not later, not when you get to it. I recall a person one time who shared with me his reputitious pattern of partying and substance abuse. And he was just indulging in in revelry and enjoying it, and yet he was puzzled that God wasn't answering his prayers and why his business was not succeeding. And I remember listening to that, and I was thinking, this is not rocket science. If it wasn't his priority to obey God's word, to abstain from the things he knew, to abstain from these things that would harm his body and render him a useless vessel for God to use to others... Why expect God's priority to bless him in his business? And yet he, he, couldn't, he couldn't figure that out. He thought he should be blessed even though he was walking in blatant disobedience to God. God would say in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, Far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. Hmm. We think lightly of God when we delay, when we neglect to obey his word. That means you don't really think seriously about God. Luke chapter 14 verse 16 tells the story of a man. He prepared a great feast and he sent out invitations to come and enjoy the banquet he had. However, when the banquet was actually ready and the call went, it's time to eat. Come on, come on, come come one, come one all. They began to make excuses Seemingly sound reasons for their inability to attend when the day actually came. Their excuses were like, well, I have business to attend to. Another excuse was, I have a family need I need to give attention to. Excuse after excuse began to roll in. I mean, these weren't big excuses like adultery or stealing or I murdered somebody and I'm in jail today. No, none of that. It was business to attend to and I got a family function I'm running off to. However, when what is not sin takes precedence over the word of the Lord, it becomes sin. It might be amoral by itself, but if God has asked you to do something and you choose not to do it because of something else, at that moment, that would become a sin because you placed it in front of Him. See how that works? The master in the story, I continue, was furious His invitation was taken lightly. That's what happened. His invitation, they didn't take him seriously. They had no holy fear of God. It's One of the problems. We're facing this problem. No holy fear of God. Flippantly think we can come and go, just whatever. He's just going to love me because of who I am. He does love you because of who you, you are. But as you get to know him, his love should transform you. And that transformation means that he becomes first in your life. There's something to be said about deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And it's, you know, I don't know, it doesn't get a whole lot clearer than that. So his love draws me, but as I come to him, now I surrender, I surrender. And now transformation begins to take, not my will, but your will be done. You know the prayer. Not my will, but your will. And when my will usurps itself over his will, that's sin. That breaks the first and second commandment, the Old Testament. First commandment, don't have any other gods. Don't place yourself above God. And when we trump him, and that was the issue of the story here. The issue of the story was that the banquet was really important. And when they came up with these excuses, in their minds, they maybe thought it was valid enough. And I mean, what's the the guy going to do anyway? They're going to do what they're going to do. And it was sin. The master is furious. They took it lightly. So what does he do? He said, none will taste of my banquet. And this easily occurs when the holiness of God is not in our hearts. In my years of pastoring, it still gives me jaw drop. When I hear believers nonchalantly say, God has been dealing with me th- with this matter for a few months now. It still gets me jaw drop when that happens. They smile and laugh it off, realizing they're actually bragging about the lack of taking God seriously. Well, God's been dealing about me with this for the last few months. And I'm going, why didn't you listen the first time? In the first day or two? But you said, you, by your own admission, it's been months. You've been doing nothing about it. God, if God's been dealing, what have you been doing? God's been dealing with it. It's a lack of holy fear and... Uh, you imagine what would happen if Moses delayed turning aside that day when the bush was burning? There wouldn't have been a deliverance. What if Noah had delayed building that ark? God had put it in the timetable when the floods would come. And if Noah said, "Hmm, I'm thinking about it, God. I'll let you know if I come around to getting to it. Aren't you glad Noah did not not do that? And the examples in Scripture are endless point is this. When we tremble at God's Holy Word, we obey God immediately. When He prompts us, now is the time. When He stirs us, now is the time. You'll hear me say this Sunday after Sunday. If there's a conviction of your Holy Spirit in the service, don't leave and plan to do it later because most of the time, it won't happen. When's the time to respond? Now. When's the time? When I'm convicted, when's the time? When I'm made aware of it. When I know. Now I do it because there's God's faith and grace is sufficient for that moment. But as I go off on my own way, it dissipates. So, first thing, immediate. Second thing I want to draw attention to, obey God even if it doesn't make sense. Obey God even if it doesn't make sense. Okay, let me give some illustrations here. Illustrations are good. Biblical illustrations are best. When Jesus was approached by a blind man blind man could not see, and he needed his sight. And I'm sure Jesus could have spoke the word, and he received his sight. He did that before. But what Jesus did was he spit into the dirt at his feet. He then stirred it up. He took the mud of his spittle, and he placed it on the blind man's eyes. I'm sure the man didn't even see it coming. <laughs> Put it on his eyes. And then told him, go wash it off. Now, does anybody make sense of that? I don't. Ew, actually. Ew. That's how I feel. Ew. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And the blind man saw. Um, Did it make sense when at the wedding, they ran out of wine, and Jesus got these wine containers... And pumped water into them for them to drink. Now, does that make sense? To me, it doesn't make sense. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Did it make sense to Apostle Paul, when he was on the boat, and he heard from the Lord, there was 276 men, sailors, seasoned. They'd been tossed for two weeks. It looked like absolute disaster for them. They have enough lifeboats for all of them to get to shore safely. This big vessel of theirs, blown about by the wind, was all signs it's going down. Did it make sense when God told the Apostle Paul to tell them to stay with the boat? If they got off the boat, they're going to drown. Made no sense. They knew that. Made no sense. What was sense was get on those lifeboats and get out of here. But God says... Anyone who leaves this vessel will drown. 276 lives were saved that day from something that made absolutely no sense. Does it make sense to forgive those who have hurt you in your family or someone close to you? I mean, shouldn't they? If you forgive them, they're off the hook. Does it make sense? And I'm going to say, no, it doesn't. What makes sense is you get even. That makes sense. That's not what we're told to do. We're told to forgive them. Does it make sense to honor those in authority who have hurt you? And yet you give honor to them because God said give honor where honor is due. Shouldn't we be complaining? Shouldn't we be to try to uprise against them and get them out of that position? Speak behind their back? Do what it takes? Rebel? Jesus tells us don't do that. May we respond like Peter did in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, when they were toiling at sea. And Jesus, another one, where Jesus, after the fishermen came back and caught nothing, Jesus said, will you go on back out? The sun's up. This is not the time to go fishing. Go on back out. Go back to where you were. You threw the net on the wrong side. Right? (laughs) Come on. That is so funny. That is so You threw the net. I know we did that one time. We were in Israel. We went out on, um, what was the guy's name, boat? Daniel's boat. We were out on Daniel's boat. Not Daniel's boat, but, but the guy's name, Daniel, he owned the boat. And uh, we got out there and he was showing us how they, they fish and uh, would have been like in Jesus' day. And so we threw out the nets and we were all on the side of the boat and boat's kind of tipping to that side. We're throwing out the nets and, and you know, and it's all fun. And we're pulling them up and, and somebody, you know, tongue in cheek saying, Look, we got nothing. Let's throw it over the other side. You know, like we were remembering the Bible story and we all chuckled on that because it's silly. Like from. What, maybe it was uh, 10 feet apart to get to the other side to throw it over here. And Jesus sees exactly what he told the fishermen. Crazy, 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 crazy. We know the story that they pulled in this. So much fish, they needed two boats to bring it in. But I like what Peter said when Jesus asked it. Luke 5.5, 5, they were toiling at sea. Nothing was happening. And uh, uh, Jesus said, go back out, throw the notes the, others, uh, the nets. Peter's response, I like this. Peter says, we've worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But, mm, this is a good but, but if you say so. Guys, we're going back out. We're doing it again. I like his response. God, give me a heart that will do that. We give Peter a hard time, but he made the right choice there. What did he do? It didn't make sense. He did it anyway. Obey God when it doesn't necessarily make sense. But when he's asking you for something, obey him. Obey God immediately. Obey God when it doesn't necessarily make sense. Number three, obey God even when you don't see it personally benefiting you. In the years of ministry, I've observed a sad reality that too often, to get believers interested in obedience, benefits have to be emphasized. So in order to get a response... We have to talk about how it's going to benefit you. It seems to be we want rewards. We want those rewards now. And it's easy for pastors and spiritual leaders to cater to the pressure of gratifying the itching ear with inspiring stories rather than calling God's people, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. It is so much more easy. To simply say, God's going to bless you. When we seek God for his goodness and benefits, we really hurt ourselves. God's commands, his counsel, his wisdom ultimately bring the greatest blessings, both in this life and the one to come. I was reading and I was sharing about nine months ago, I did a little brief series in the book of Esther. And if you remember the story of Esther, uh, there's an evil high-ranking official under King Uh, under the king, and the guy's name is Haman, and he's seeking a way to annihilate the Jews. Esther was the queen, but she's not allowed to approach the emperor. She's not allowed to approach the top dog. Without his invitation, you just don't approach. Uh, So her people are being annihilated. Her uncle's on her case. She knows God is saying, you talk to him. Uh, but she knows if she goes and talks to him without him extending the invitation, she'll die. So she's in a quandary. It's a problem. Uh, Think about it. She has everything to gain to do nothing. Everything to gain. She can continue to remain the queen and be comfortable for the rest of her life. And she has everything to risk by trying to get into the king's room to talk to him about this. And note her response, Esther chapter 4, verse 15. She says, then it says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, her uncle. Sent this reply, go gather together all the Jews who were in Susa. Fast for me. Guys, you got to be praying. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. In other words, that's what I'm doing. Guys, fast. This is serious. I and my attendants will fast also. Here it is. When this is done, she's already made up her mind. When this is done, I will go fast. To the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mm. Way to go, Esther. Way to go. I will go. I will go. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna set it up with prayer. But I will go, and if I die, I'll die. But why will I go? Not for the reward. The reward, do nothing. I will go. It could cost me absolutely everything, but because God asked me. Church, wouldn't that be, you know, I just need to do this because God asked me. It might not be popular. You might get some pushback. You might get a lot of pushback. You might receive persecution. Misunderstood. But if God is speaking to you, and He's primarily speaking you through His Word, when He's speaking to you, you need the answer is not just yes. The answer is yes and I'm going. The yes is not enough to say it. The yes is shown by doing it. Holy fear motivated her to put God's kingdom before her own welfare. And I just want to say this morning, perhaps you have been mistreated by someone who doesn't particularly like you. What noticeable benefits of obeying Jesus' words to do good to those who hate you and to pray for those who spitefully use you? We struggle with that one. What benefit is there in giving generously your tithes and offerings? When I give back to the Lord, what's the Lord's? I probably will not meet the people that that's going to help. I probably won't meet those people. And they can't repay me. Is there benefits to it? Not right there. I do it because God asked me to do it. Question is, will you consistently obey God in response to His holy word that burns in your heart? Or will you wait until you see a personal benefit and then do it? So, obey God immediately. Obey God even when it doesn't make sense. Obey God even when you don't see personal benefits. Number four, obey God even if it's painful. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Another translation, his holy fear. Jesus deep holy fear, reverent submission, empowered him to face and endure what human nature would otherwise cause you to run. And in the same word we're told in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. Peter instructs us arm yourselves. Can you imagine what it's like if you went to military if you went into battle, you didn't, you know, if, if you're in the Navy, you didn't take the ship. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the Army and you didn't put on the armor and the helmet and you didn't take a gun with you, you're just running into battle. right? It's kind of silly. Or if, you know, you're, you're supposed to uh, take out some strategic positions and, and you know, you, you run to it instead of getting in a plane and dropping the, the missiles. Uh, it'd be silly. We laugh at that. Of course, you'd take the tanks, the ships, the planes, the guns, the bullets. Go armed. Go armed point is this. An unarmed believer can easily bypass hardships for the sake of your self-preservation. The holy awe of God is what arms us with this deep resolve to do God's will no matter what. I am armed when I fear the Lord. I'm not afraid of the Lord. Big difference. We talked of the difference. Being afraid of the Lord, I pull back. When When I have awe of the Lord, I come in with awe and humbleness before His presence. And when that happens, when that takes place, something transports into our own heart and our own lives. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He trusted Himself to those who judge Justly. It's important. In prayer, we don't retaliate, but commit this to God. God will avenge in His time, His way. I will not take vengeance into my own hands. The heroes of the kingdom of God, Hebrews chapter 11, the whole hero chapter, went through a lot of stuff in order to get their victory. Some of them were mocked, chained, tortured, abused, imprisoned, wandered in the desert, lived in caves... On and on. Why? Their lives were part of a fallen world around them. A hostile world to the kingdom of God. But only through their reverence to God did they refuse to turn away from God's obedience to His word and held on to the promises. Psalms 126 verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying seed. No, the the blessing, the joy, came with the weeping. So, it can be painful. I obey, even though it can be painful. Obey God immediately. Obey when it doesn't make sense. Obey when you don't see personal benefit. You probably won't, not immediate. Obey when it's painful. And lastly, obey God to the end, to completion. Keep doing it. In our world today, many are empathetic towards those who are insecure. However, I want to suggest behind insecurity frequently is a desire to be accepted, loved, respected. There's nothing wrong with that. But beware that that's not at the price of disobeying God. So, I so need to be accepted that my pursuit of acceptance trumps being obedient to God. Insecurity becomes a problem at that point. We lack the realization of how deeply accepted and loved we are by a career. That's where I'm going this afternoon with, with the first session with my CSUM group. Do you know how much God loves you? Because when we begin to grasp the height, the depth, the breadth of God's love for us, It really does set us on good ground to face whatever's coming. But when we are in, when you see people's acceptance, you don't have. It's kind of nice to get, you know, appreciation. I have to admit that. But when we know how much He appreciates us, how much His love motivates us, oh man, that trumps anything. Because that other can be a little fleeting, but God's is not fleeting. God's is steadfast. Insecurity needs to be called out for what it is. It's a very dangerous trap. Obedience to completion is paramount. I'm in it to the end. I'm in it to the end. I want to talk just a second before we close about conscience. I wasn't very long in the ministry, and I came across a study, and I began to study about conscience. I was always curious about um, conscience. And and you've heard some expressions about uh, you need to do this in good conscience. Uh, Another expression, uh, do what your conscience is telling you to do, okay? These These are phrases that I grew up hearing regarding conscience. God has given every single human a conscience. This is unique to any other creature on this planet. He's given humans a conscience. He's given others' instincts. He's given humans a conscience. And the conscience can be nurtured to be strong... Or a conscience can be neglected, which will become weak. A conscience is never steady. It's moving. Stronger or weaker. A conscience is always moving. You hear the expression again, do it in good conscience. What's your conscience telling you? Well, this works as if your conscience has been shaped by God's word. When your conscience is shaped by God's word, then you can do it in good conscience. Why? Because it's been... The foundation of a conscience is based on God's Word. However, if you have not been exposed to and have appreciated God's Word, then your conscience will be misled, will be misleading. It will be misdirected. Oftentimes, we make a reference. A conscience is weak. It can mislead us. Our conscience is not just a given. Our conscience will lead in different things. Some people just have a conscience that has been very seared. A conscience that has been uh, a broken conscience. Our conscience is a gift of God that we should never take lightly. It's an integral part of our heart. Its sensitivity is strengthened by holy fear of God. My conscience becomes strong as I am in awe of Him. And conversely, it's dulled when I am not. Responding to him in absolute obedience. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. From that, right choices flow. Timothy would say in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 19. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Let me read that again. Hold to your faith and a good conscience. They come together, not one without. Your faith in the Lord, your faith in God, your faith in what His Word is saying, and a good conscience. Keep your conscience linked to that. But some have rejected it and have suffered, he said, shipwreck. Shipwreck. Now that shipwreck is no trivial matter. It's important. We cannot afford to defile our conscience. Our challenge is to keep our conscience pure. Full corruption doesn't happen overnight. Shipwreck doesn't happen instantaneous. Shipwreck happens because of a number of neglects. And then shipwreck. A number of neglects. Shipwreck. Follow that. Most of the time it starts with the smaller matters. And when they are not addressed, eventually you end in shipwreck. James 1, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We come to this serious place where we have become shipwrecked. But it didn't happen just overnight. It happened because we weren't listening to our conscience. And it eventuates in a shipwrecked life. In a shipwrecked life, it's really hard to get it back on track again. It's, sometimes you never get it back. It's not that you can't, but often you don't. Have you ever, um, let me use an illustration here. Have you ever spoken a slanderous word or maybe responded slanderously regarding someone? Maybe not to them, regarding someone. And at the moment you did, and I've had, I've had this happen a number of times, okay? Come on. And the moment I did, I felt like a knife was struck. When I did it, I knew I did wrong. I knew I did wrong. <clears throat> That's your conscience. Hopefully, I'm listening. What I need to do is repent and immediately correct what I've spoken. And if I have to make amends, I need to make amends. I need to do that, and I need to do that fairly soon. However, what happens if you just justify your behavior so you got that stab in the gut, that feeling oh, afterwards just like, oh, what was I doing? Why did I say that? I knew better. I shouldn't have done it. But instead of doing anything about it, you excused yourself, you justified what you did, you didn't correct it, you didn't listen to your conscience, you didn't repent, you justify, you ignore the inner conviction, what happens is a callousness begins to build over your conscience. We know this to be true. The next time you speak against someone, it's not a knife going through your gut, it's a little pinch this time. Why is it a little pinch? Because your conscience is being seared. It's not as significant as the first one because you are ignoring it. Now it's like a little pinch. Maybe your conscience speaks again a little bit later, and it's a little nudge, and that's about all it gets. Just a thought comes into your mind. I shouldn't have said that. And then off you go. And then it's no time where you feel nothing. You ever wonder why people can be cold-hearted? It didn't happen overnight. No way. It happened over a sequence of disobedience, and it happens with us. It might not be as dramatic, but it happens guaranteed. It's, it's the process of shipwreck. That's what Paul talks about. Be careful, lest you are shipwrecked. That internal conflict becomes less and less as you justify your actions, and after a while, you can't not discern the voice of your conscience, undiscernible. And finally, you feel nothing. Your conscience is seared. The Bible says it's the blind leading the blind. You can't feel it, you can't see, and you just keep leading. And that's what Paul says, you're shipwrecked. Only repentance turns this around. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Yes, God, I've received that. Mercy and restoration can happen at any stage of the process, but the lack of holy awe, the fear of the Lord will delay your response. God warns about the days we live in in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, or 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. says this, the Spirit clearly says, in the latter days, some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience, there it is, have been seared as a hot iron. You know, you, you, you picture the hot iron and there's no more tenderness to the skin underneath it. Their conscience has been seared. So let me just wrap this up. Obey God immediately. Obey God even when it doesn't make sense. Obey God even when you don't see personal benefit. Obey God even if it's painful. Obey God to completion. You kind of get the common theme is obey God. Holiness, the holy of God, is obedience to His Word. It's His holy Word. I tremble at Your Word. I tremble at Your Word. Isaiah 66, 2. These are the ones I look for with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.